It's great to be with you all this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to worship with you. I'm thankful you've given me the opportunity to lead your minds in things spiritual this morning. I pray that the things that we talk about will be encouraging to us all. There's a story about a little boy who was scared to go to church one Sunday morning. His mother went to get him ready for, for worship, and uh, all of a sudden he started just broke out in tears and was inconsolable. And the mother was very puzzled because the boy usually was very excited about going to worship, but today he was, he was scared about it. She said, what's wrong? Why, why are you crying? He said, well, last Sunday the preacher said that the uh, zeal of the Lord had eaten him up, and I'm worried if I go to church, the zeal's going to eat me up too. So this morning I want to talk about zeal. God wants us to be zealous. Zeal needs to be in the lives of Christians. And Mark read for us in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us so that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify to himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You think about that? Jesus died on the cross so that he could redeem us, not just so he could redeem us, but so he could redeem us to be people who are zealous for good works. That's what Jesus wants from us. That's his desire. And I don't think we're worried that zeal is going to literally eat us up. But sometimes I'm afraid that we are worried about zeal because we know zeal requires commitment and it requires sacrifices. There are going to be consequences to having the zeal that Jesus wants us to have. And I'm afraid that many times we're hesitant to make those sacrifices. Jesus sacrificed himself for us so that we would make sacrifices for him. And we would be zealous of good works. Let's talk about zeal this morning. Let's talk about being zealous for good works. We have to start off, though, with defining terms. What is zeal? The Greek word that's translated zeal is from a, a root word that Strong says means to be hot. He says it's like boiling liquid or solids that are so hot, hot that they glow. That's the word that the word zeal comes from in, in Greek. Webster defines zeal for us as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Webster also says that zeal implies energetic and unflagging pursuit of an aim or devotion to a cause. Energetic and unflagging pursuit. The definition of the word zeal is perhaps best understood when we look at the life of Jesus and we look at him cleansing the temple where we see that phrase here about zeal has eaten him up. In, in uh, John chapter 2, verse 13, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers, uh, the changers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. 
Then his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus had great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective here, didn't he? Jesus had zeal. There's no doubt about it. Jesus was committed to doing what he needed to do. He had great energy doing it. He had focus on the objective. Jesus did not approach those in the temple that needed to get out just by saying, well, you can leave if you want to. Or all of this isn't right. One of these days I'll get around to it. Not today. You know, it's been a really long day today, Jesus could have said. I'll work on that tomorrow. He didn't say, well, this isn't right. There's not much I can do about it. No, he had zeal. He had that great energy, that enthusiasm that prompted him to act and to act now. And it prompted him to act decisively. And if we have the zeal that we need to have in our life, I want to tell you, it's going to keep us from being undecided. It's going to keep us from being on the fence. It's going to keep us from procrastinating what we know we need to do in the service of the Lord. If we have the zeal that we should have for the Lord, we're going to be active. What does zeal do for us in our lives? It prompts us to be active. Zeal is a generic term, though, isn't it? You can be zealous about a lot of things. And zeal doesn't have to be directed towards those things that are good. In fact, zeal is often directed at things that are bad. We see this in the Scriptures. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 17, we see folks who apparently were motivated. They had this energy and this uh, fervency, and they were really motivated, but it was for the wrong reason. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 17, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that, they may be, that you may be zealous for them. Here's these people's motivation. Their zeal was rooted in their pride. Our zeal can be for things that aren't good. We've got to make sure that our zeal is directed towards things that are good. It goes on in Galatians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says, It is good to be zealous in a good thing always, not only when I'm present with you. We've got to make sure that our zeal is directed towards things that are good. But even when our zeal is directed towards things that are good, it can be misguided. There are a lot of people in the religious world today who are zealous, but their zeal is misguided. And it's no new thing. It's been this way for, for thousands of years. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul talks about his zeal, and his zeal was misguided. He was motivated by zeal when he was persecuting the church. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 4, Though I might also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was very zealous. He had this energy. He had this focus on the cause of persecuting Christians. He was wrong. Zeal can be misguided. Even though you may be trying to serve God, you may not, not, not be doing good works. It was no different for the people of Paul's day who were religious. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We can have zeal in our life, and it will motivate us to be active. But that zeal has to be directed by God's Word, because Jesus gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify to Himself a peculiar people, zealous for good work. So then this morning, how can we be zealous for good works? This is what Jesus hung on the cross for. So that we could be His special people who are zealous for good works. Let me suggest a few areas where we can be zealous in our lives as Christians today. The first of those areas, I believe, is in our concern for our brethren. Our concern for our brethren. Have you ever watched a mother with a newborn baby? And have you seen the concern that she has for that newborn baby? A mother has some type of connection with that baby that a father doesn't have. And that baby can have something going on that men are just oblivious to. But a mother says, something went right with Junior. And we need to get Junior to the doctor. A mother is zealous for the well-being of her child. And I want to tell you that as Christians, we need to be zealous for the well-being of our brethren. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, notice what it says here about the Corinthians and their concern for Paul. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. The Corinthians were zealous in their concern for Paul and his well-being. I want to tell you, we need to be zealous in our concern for our brethren. When there is a spiritual need of our brethren, our zeal should prompt us to act and act urgently and act decisively like Jesus did. Does our zeal motivate us? Does it cause us to push past the uncomfortableness of having to go to a brother or sister who may be struggling and offering your help? I know he's struggling. I know she's struggling. But it would just be sort of uncomfortable to go talk to them about that. Zeal needs to promote us and prompt us to go and help when we can. Paul was motivated by his love for his brethren and his concern for them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. There was something about Titus that Paul was concerned about. He needed to find Titus. And he had an opportunity to preach the gospel, but he was so concerned about Titus that he went after Titus. We need to be zealous for our brethren. Are you concerned about your brother or your sister in this congregation? Do you see things that are going on? Maybe struggles or difficulties or challenges or temptations that they may be facing? 
And do you have a zeal for their soul that causes you to push forward and try and help with that? We need to have zeal for our brethren. But I'm afraid that our zeal, or what should be our zeal for our brethren, many times takes a back seat. Takes a back seat to maybe our pride or our competitiveness. It's hard to be zealous for somebody's well-being if you think you're better than them or you're somehow envious and competitive about them. When you want to be viewed as the one who is the preeminent one or the authority, and then to lay that aside and go help someone, that's difficult sometimes. Sometimes we have hard feelings. We were hurt by others, and that bitterness keeps us from going and reaching out to them and doing what we need to do to help them. Or our patience gets in the way. I don't know why he or she keeps having that problem. We've talked to them a hundred times before. Zeal is going to cause us to push all these things aside and have great energy or enthusiasm in the pursuit of a cause or an objective in regards to our brethren's well-being. So we also need to have zeal as we pray for our brethren. Part of this concern for our brethren needs to transcribe or be transformed into our prayers for our brethren. Epaphras was devoted to praying for his brethren. Notice what Paul said about him in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may, not, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in, who are in Hierapolis. Epaphras was laboring fervently for his brethren. He had great zeal for them, and it prompted him to be praying for their well-being. Are we zealous in our prayers for our brethren? Are we fervent in that? And I think we can do better. It's easy to pray about what we need, isn't it? Do we stop and pray about what our brethren need? Do you know what your brethren are struggling with? Do you know what your brethren need? If not, why don't you? Is it because you don't take time to listen? You don't take time to observe? You ever known someone who didn't ever stop to listen to you? Wanted you to tell you everything about themselves, but they didn't stop to listen to you? Am I that person? Am I so focused on what is going on in my life that I don't stop to think about what brother so-and-so might need, what brother so-and-so might be going through and dealing with? Maybe we just need to ask our brethren how things are going. And maybe when we're asked, we need to be honest enough to say what's going on, where the struggles are, so that we can strengthen each other. Do you have great enthusiasm and energy in pursuit of a cause or an objective in your prayers for your brethren? Here's another area where you may not think about zeal and being zealous for good works, but I want to tell you the Scriptures tell us we need to be zealous in repentance. We need to be zealous in repentance. We all sin. And when we sin, we need to repent of those sins. But repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance requires zeal. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning of verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same episode made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. They were zealous in Corinth in their repentance. We need to be zealous in our repentance as well. Repentance is a turning from what we were doing that we shouldn't have been doing, and turning to what is right. And we need to be zealous in that. You know, I'm afraid sometimes we repent, but we're not all that repulsed from the sin, by the sin that we had just committed. Yeah, I'm sorry I did that, and I'll repent because I want God to forgive me, but I sort of would like to stay cozied up to that thing. When we sin, we need to be so repulsed by that, that when we repent, we turn away from it with all the zeal that we have, that we're running away from it as hard as we can run away from it. Not just that I'm sorry, but I'm going to change, and I'm going to get serious about that change. I'm not letting this sin live in my life anymore. I'm running away from it zealously. The Corinthians were zealous in their repentance. We need to be zealous in ours. You ever known someone who was injured by a piece of machinery or by a tool? I remember Jack Rigsby. I think you saw his face. It was scarred up from a chainsaw that, that jumped up and got him in the face, knocked a tooth out and cut his face. I dare say he didn't use that chainsaw the same way anymore. I'm sure he was careful about that. When we sin... Brethren, we need to run away from that, just like something that bit us in the past. We need to zealously turn from that, never to do it again. Jesus wants us to be zealous when we repent. Not just, I'm sorry. Not just, oh, I messed up. And not just, well, I hope I don't ever do that again. But be zealous in your repentance. Look at what he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Are we zealous in our repentance? Do we have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of repentance? We need to be. I'll tell you this morning that we also need to be zealous in our benevolence. When we have the opportunity to help others, we need to be zealous about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 beginning, Paul commends the Corinthians for their zeal. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. The Corinthians had an opportunity to help their brethren, and they were zealous about that opportunity. 
Many times, though, I'm afraid it's the opposite for us. That when we have the opportunity to help, we look for the reasons to excuse ourselves from helping. We look for reasons why it would be okay not to help. We look for maybe some flaws in someone's character or other things. I want to tell you, we need to be zealous in our care for others and our benevolence. When the Corinthians heard that there was a need, they were ready to help. They had this energy, this enthusiasm, this fervency about the opportunity to help. I'm afraid a lot of times we shroud our hesitation and our lack of wanting to help others in this shroud of, well, you've got to be a good steward. You've got to be a good steward. You've got to make sure that everything you give to someone is used exactly like it should be used. And certainly we have to be good stewards. Certainly we cannot enable someone to be lazy or to do other things that are sinful we can't enable. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to be careful that we're not allowing this, this desire to be a good steward to just totally paralyze us from helping anyone. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1, the preacher says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. The preacher's encouraging us to be generous. Cast your bread upon the waters. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Continue reading with me, verse 3, beginning. Um, so your zeal has stirred up the majority, yet I have sent the brethren, lest, uh, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, uh, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Is our generosity sometimes a grudging obligation? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply your seed as you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. We need to be zealous in our benevolence. We need to have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective regarding benevolence. And I need to thank you for your benevolence towards us this week and your abundant generosity towards us and encourage you to continue uh, that as you serve the Lord and you're zealous for good works. Finally, this morning, I want to tell you we need to be zealous in all things good. In short, we need to have great energy or enthusiasm as it relates to anything good that God has told us to do. Do we have great energy and enthusiasm in our service to God? 
When we see God giving us a command to do, when we see opportunities to do good, are we zealous about that? Or are we cooled in our pursuit of what is good and what is right? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul tells Timothy, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul told Timothy to pursue these good things. Chase these good things. Run them down. Go after them zealously. Have you ever seen a dog chasing a bird or a rabbit? When that dog gets on that bird or that rabbit, they put their nose down and they are going to catch what they're chasing. They don't care. They won't listen to you when you're yelling at them to come back. They want what they're chasing. They're zealous about it. And we want righteousness. Everyone here in this audience wants righteousness wants to be pleasing to God, we need to be zealous about it. We need to be like that dog with his nose down going after it. God has called us to be the people he wants us to be, and it's not going to happen by accident. We're going to have to zealously pursue it. We're going to have to be deliberate about it. And we're going to have to be passionate about it and on fire for the Lord. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus said, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Does that describe us? Have we lost our great energy or enthusiasm, our zeal in the pursuit of all things good? God wants us to be zealous for good works. Not only does he just want us to be doing these things, he wants us to be zealous about it. He wants our attitude to be right. How important is it to him that we be zealous in our service to him? Jesus hung on the cross for that. Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works this morning? If you're not a Christian yet, why not? Will your zeal for God promote you to submit to Him in obedience? If you're a Christian this morning and that fire sort of cooled off, can you ignite it again? Can we help with that? Will you let us know while we stand and sing?